I'm Billy Cerveny. It's good to be here with you on All Saints Day. It's not just All Saints Day, it's also the week after Halloween, which means if you're a parent here, you are finding large stockpiles of candy hidden under beds and in closets. It's a time-honored tradition. I know I did it. You probably did it too. I remember when I was a kid, I had about 20-pound haul one day of Halloween candy that I got in a pillowcase, you know, because I didn't use one of those little plastic pumpkin heads. I was much more efficient. And I took it into my room, and I knew that I had to, had to stash this, so I took it and put it into a cardboard box, and I had this small attic storage space that I put the candy in. And two problems with that. I forgot it was there for about two months. And the second problem was I lived in Florida, which means any attic space in Florida at any given moment is 100-plus degrees constant, easy. So when I remembered, I went to get this candy, and I reached in to get my treasure trove of sugary goodness. As I pulled this box out and I stuck my hand in, I realized this candy had gone through this chemical transformation in the heat. And all this wonderful candy that I thought was going to be, be so great, it had gone, it had turned into a single rock-hard glucose meteor that I picked up. And I remember as I was trying to, like, bite a grape now and later off the side, <laughs> thinking to myself, this is not the way this was supposed to be. I was remembering that story this week, and I thought to myself, what a picture of life that is, isn't it? That we step into situations or the things we get, it's, they're just wrapped in multicolored wrappers and they have such promise to them. Our jobs, our friendships, church life, marriage. But in the heat of this world, they begin to break down. We begin to break down. And as we sit and hold these things that once held such promise, we say to ourselves, God, this is just not the way it's supposed to be. If you ever felt that way or you ever think that way, you're not alone. Because in our passage today, we read that Mary and Martha, they had that same feeling. John 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus, he's sick and he's dying and they, Mary and Martha sinned for Jesus, but rather than coming really quickly, Jesus drags his feet for two days. And by the time he arrives, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Mary comes out to meet him on the road, and she's distraught. She falls on his feet, falls to his feet. And she says, Jesus, where were you? Like, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. And the people around her are saying the same thing. I can so relate to Mary in that moment, can't you? It's one thing for us to face the things of this world that aren't what they're supposed to be. But what are we supposed to do when Jesus isn't what he is supposed to be in those situations? Or at least what we thought he should be. When he's late to that bedside miracle we have been waiting for. When we have that situation in our life and we fall and we say, Lord, if you had only been here, my marriage wouldn't have done this. Or my kids wouldn't have made this choice. 
Lord, if you hadn't been here, this wouldn't have happened in my life. I wouldn't be addicted to this or I wouldn't contend with this. Lord, if you had only been here. And in moments like that, like Mary, we're making a statement, but we're really asking a question. What's the question we're asking? Do you care? Do you even care? You know, Mary's asking this question, and we would read this passage, we realize, you know what? That's a fair question. And as a reader of this passage, it's also a fair question, even though we know the punchline. Because Jesus dragged his feet so he could display his glory. That's a pretty extreme move to go to, just to make a point. Was he being cavalier about this? And we realize, like, if I'm Jesus, I know what I'm about to do. So when I step in that situation, I'm kind of laughing to myself. Like, oh, they're so sad, but I can't wait. I'm about to blow some minds. I'm going to raise this guy from the dead. But he's not cavalier at all. What does it say in verse 35? It says, in the shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. What does that tell us? It tells us that he wasn't being cavalier. It tells us that there wasn't some joke hidden inside some divine perspective, that he wasn't patting Mary on the head saying, oh, it'll be okay. I'll just make a new Lazarus. That he stepped in, and when she cried, it's not the way he's supposed to be. He wept with her, and he meets us in our suffering with his own tears. He meets us. He's with us in our suffering in this way. And this is huge because guess what? I need a God. You need a God who comforts me in my suffering in this way. But he can't be a God who just comforts me in my suffering. I need a Savior. Not just a God who says, it's okay. I need someone or something that's bigger than me who's willing to step into this and say, I will make things right. And that's why in this passage we just read, before Jesus wept, it says in, John, in verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary, it says, he was greatly disturbed and deeply moved. What does that mean? When they translated this passage, i got to be honest, this is where the translators kind of wimped out a little bit. Because the Greek word for greatly disturbed it isn't saying that Jesus was just really sad. It implies this visceral, deep, stirring anger. In fact, the other only times that we see this word used outside of Scripture is to describe animals who are so incensed and enraged in the stall that their nostrils are flaring. Paints a little different picture of Jesus in this moment, doesn't it? You see, when, what does this tell us? When Mary says, this is not the way it's supposed to be, with Jesus' tears, we see him move in compassion. But with the flared nostril, Jesus, when Mary says, this is not the way it's supposed to be, he's saying, you have no idea. You don't know the half of it. I'm the God of the universe, by whom and through whom all things were made. I breathe not a life into your nostrils. 
I created you to live in the shadow of the tree of life, to walk with you in the cool of the day. I love you. I want you in this death. This, this is unraveling my creation in a way that you cannot see. And I am angry. See, Jesus' sadness moves him to be with us. But Jesus' anger, godly, holy anger, it propels him to strap on the sword and make things right. So what does he do? He steps into Lazarus, in front of Lazarus' tombs and he goes to war. Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. But that one-time miracle, what does that mean for us? Like, that's awesome. But when I'm waiting, what does that mean for us? That miracle, it was a signpost. It was a signpost pointing to what is coming and to what has come. And let me tell you what's coming. We read it earlier, Revelation 21. The holy city of God will descend. And God will make his dwelling place with men where the one who, who sits on the throne with a tear-wiping hand of God, he says, behold, I am making all things new. Now, be careful when you read that, because what he's not saying is, behold, I'm making all new things. No. What he's saying is, what I made wasn't a mistake. You're not a mistake. The way you are isn't a mistake. And I'm going to restore it to its original purpose, its original glory. I'm, I'm a re God of recreation. Your heart, your body, your life, the new heavens, the new earth. And that's beautiful. But this miracle also pointed to what has come. You remember that phrase when Jesus always says it's one of his favorites. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he saying? He wasn't joking. With every step of Jesus' life, with every miracle, he is pulling back the curtain that hung between this new heavens and new earth and our broken world. And the new realities of that world are flooding in. All things new. When he heals the hemorrhaging woman, when the paralytic is lowered through the roof, behold, I'm making all things new. New heavens and new earth. Can you see it? The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the kingdom we're headed towards, but it's here. And when we see Jesus with flaring nostrils raising Lazarus from the dead, it was a foreshadowing of when he would climb on the cross and experience death himself. Go in that tomb and emerge from it. And in that moment, that curtain is torn in half. And through the Holy Spirit, there is a torrential flood. And death moves in reverse. That verse where your deepest shame for that thing you did. That you never really talk about. That's where God moves. And it becomes the soil in which life grows. Where our broken relationships can be restored. Where our wounds become a place of connection rather than rejection. God's spirit, it turns the dry clay of our hearts into fertile soil. Yeah, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. I thank God we have a Jesus that weeps with us in those places. But thank God he isn't a God who just weeps with us in those places. He has defeated death. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
He is making all things new, including you and me. Amen.